Hello, and welcome to the second episode of The Burning Issue, where we look at the current and future state of the energy recovery sector. My name is Luke Walsh, and I'm the editor of EndsWasteAndBioEnergy.com. Last time we spoke to Suez, one of the largest companies in waste management, but the sector is also made up of many smaller businesses too. One of the best of these is Andusia, and today I'm talking to its director, Mark Terrell. Hello, Mark. Thank you for talking to me today. Hello. Mark himself is a qualified materials engineer and began his career as a chemist. He has previously worked for Thames Water, Veolia, Lafarge, the Environment Agency, Suez UK, and before his current role was at Consultancy Ricardo. Is that a fair summary of your CV? Yes, there is. I've done lots of things in lots of different companies. So, yeah. Mark's business comes in when waste needs to be moved. And while it initially focused on exports, the company also moves waste domestically for recovery within the UK. It deals with refuse derived fuel, solid recovered fuel, and more recently, waste wood. For anyone who doesn't know waste derived fuels, it's what happens to black bagged waste, which instead of being landfilled, is instead shredded, dried, baled, and then processed in an energy from waste plant to produce electricity, and in some cases, heat. Firstly, we'd like to get to know you, Mark, and about your business life. Then we'll talk about your views on energy recovery sector currently and ask you where the sector is going. So let's start with a bit about you. Uh, away from work, what are your priorities? Uh, I've, I'm married with two kids, so that takes a big part of my time. Yeah, I, I, I still play five-side football. Well, try to run around after young kids. Uh, and I, I play bass guitar still in a band, but my dreams of making the big time are... Well and truly gone. If, if things had worked out differently and you'd not all go into waste, would you have perhaps become a rock star then? Uh, <laughs> that was my aim in my teens, very much so, yeah. And then I had to realise that I had to get a proper job and uh, ended up kind of in waste, really, working for CleanAway back in them days and analysing waste, working in the lab. And, 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 and here I am 20 years later, I suppose. Maybe we'll touch on that a bit later about recruitment, but I do think people do tend to fall into waste. It's perhaps not a sector that people go into so much out of choice. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right with that. I think it's perhaps there's not any big names uh, in the waste industry, you know, uh, that, that would attract people to. And, and it's perhaps an industry that kind of just works in the background quietly. And, and you probably, if it's doing its job properly, you wouldn't hear about it. You know, it works in the shadows, if you like, with other utilities. And what's an average day like for you? I, most of my day, yeah, is, as with most people, probably emails, conversations, but probably spread with talking to customers in the UK and customers abroad, you know, and trying to sort of find solutions for them both. But yeah, a lot of it is, is talking to people in different countries across Europe and different places across the UK, really. And, and for me, our job is to is to try and connect the you know the European energy from waste plants and the UK market and sort of bridge that gap. Has it changed much since COVID? Very much so. Yeah, I, I travel a lot less uh, <laughs> and do a lot more Teams calls, but in in a good way. I think people are more open to uh, talking on a phone and Teams, where before maybe face to face was was. Definite and and a lot of customers, you know, I haven't met in years, but you know, we still have a relationship and still talk to. So, it's it's still yeah, we're still busy and still talking to new markets and trying to connect with new people. We're the same. I'm writing stories and talking to people on a screen. I've never met them in real life. (laughs) Yeah, you wouldn't have thought it'd be like that a few years ago, would you? And I've got a confession that I I'm a bit of a wish recycler. 
And part of me thinks that perhaps the sector should do more to recycle certain items. But how much effort do you put into recycling? Yeah, I do put quite a bit of effort in uh, at home. And I think you have to practice what you preach, really. And and you kind of, you know, I, uh, as part of sort of your life, you get <laughs> indoctrinated into doing that. And after working for people like Thames Water, I'm conscious of saving water and, and recycling. There's only so much you can do at home. But for me, it's probably... I'm out to try and use less in the first place. You don't buy, don't buy so many new things if you don't have to and avoid travel and you know, try and minimise as best we can and, and, and avoid waste where possible. And if we move on now and we talk a bit more about your business life, what I'd like to know about is the UK waste treatment capacity gap or, or a lack of one. There's lots of talk around it. But waste is still being moved around the country and exported. But arguably, we've seen peak EFW development and perhaps peak export. So where does the sector and the waste go from here? I think there is a... A change over the past few years, especially COVID, has maybe exacerbated that. Uh, there was a real hiatus of new energy from waste plants uh, being developed, and a lot of investment in in that area. Uh, we've seen that probably since COVID drop off quite dramatically, really, uh, and and I don't see that coming back. And you know, we will see uh, maybe half a dozen plants at maybe one and a half to two million tonnes of capacity come online over the next, uh, the, the remainder of the decade really, over the next five to six, seven years. But it's a slow progress. You know, if you get financial close on a plant today, it's four or five years before it actually burns any waste. So so, so while it's slowed down through the COVID period, you know, that that's going to have an impact over the next few years. Talking about Andusia... Uh, it's looking like a record year for you. You exported uh, more than 140,000 tonnes between January and August with the latest figures, and you're getting closer to that 2 million tonnes mark exported overall since the business launched 10 years ago. How, how do you see exports currently? Well, we, we did see uh, during COVID, and, and you know, there's less waste around economic activity and less people going out, obviously, produces less waste. So we saw a, a real reduction uh, in that and and I think uh, and that perhaps exports took a bit of a brunt of that we're now seeing exports increasing again where the, where the world's opening up and and, and slowly uh, people are you know perhaps coming to the realization that as well that the energy from waste sector in the UK is not is not going to happen as quickly as they thought uh, so we're seeing real demand we're seeing demand in the UK and demand in Europe, especially at the moment with the energy crisis. Uh, you know, lots of plants across Europe need waste, want waste, and are, and are running back towards 100% capacity. Where do you see that demand coming from? You mentioned Europe. I see Denmark seems to be wanting more waste, but other countries, it's been a bit tough. The Netherlands has taxes. Sweden's got taxes. That, where, where's the growth? At, at the moment, Central, Central Europe it has, has a real growth. Germany, uh, of one of the big ones because of the the energy crisis that they're they're under and Sweden and Holland what we've seen i think with taxes and that part of things where there's been a price that the market's kind of settled and and that's become you know acceptable like paying vat on things you know it, everyone just just kind of manages to get it commercially right i think from now we've seen much more demand in central europe rather than scandinavia because I think when initially when COVID came, Germany perhaps was the first to find that 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 coal where it's more difficult to get to because of haulage and less goods coming to the UK. But now we're seeing that coming back. I think Germany, Holland are 
probably the two that we'll see growing throughout this year. When I've spoken to you for news stories, uh, most recently we spoke about trouble at ports with disruption through strikes. And industrial action does seem like it's likely to affect ports and possibly railways in the future. How are waste exporters going to adapt to that? It's been fairly sporadic, obviously, the ports. We, and for us, yeah, there's been disruption at the ports, obviously. For us, we're, we're just trying to diversify our supply chain. So, so not to be too dependent on one or two specific routes. So when we take waste from a waste company or supply waste to an end market, we have two or three solutions. Make sure that we spread their risk through containers, through trucks, through bulk ships. So, so that when there is disruption, we, we can still manage their waste, albeit maybe slightly disrupted, but not completely. You've still got people at the end who need the waste for, to fill their contracts, don't they? To fill their waste bunkers. We won't see the end of strikes, I think, but it's... It's a negotiation to get the wages up and, and, and it will happen slowly and, and, and wages will increase eventually. And we'll see it back to normal, I hope. There's been some talk amongst politicians of pushing for a phase out of UK exports by 2030 or maybe further forward. But surely as things stand, the problems you've mentioned getting waste plants developed, there's, you, you said up to maybe half a dozen new plants coming. That, that seems quite reasonable. But those plants still have to get over the finishing line. If anything curtails exports now, surely that's only going to lead to landfilling. Yeah, I think at the moment the choice for exports is is mostly between RDF export and UK landfill. It, it's not really competing with UK EFW, where UK Energy from Waste is mostly taking municipal waste, uh, local contracts. You know, it's not really competing in the same sphere and and there is plenty of waste and we still landfill you know millions and millions of tons of waste so i I don't think capacity is a problem we shouldn't draw a line around the country and have a border you know we're in a global market and we should if there's plants already built in holland and germany that have capacity then we should use them we shouldn't build new plants just for the sake of it you know it i think also i think the rdf market it has become a bit more fluid uh, that that can take uh, some overflow of waste and, and contract and expand during COVID and, and out of COVID. And I think, you know, new UK FW isn't quite so flexible uh, and we're never going to get to that point of parity. It can't be a perfect system where we have all the waste going exactly to the EFW in the same country. It doesn't happen in Europe and it's very difficult to happen. One of the things I also see is waste regulation and you need flexibility for the regulation. When I get press releases from the Environment Agency, one of your former employees, and you see the levels of fines and then you see the profits that they can make from these uh, from dumping the waste or illegally disposing of it, it makes me think that, I, one, I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> Two, if I was in the waste business and I saw those sort of things... It must be discouraging. Yeah, it, it is. And I think I think uh, what fly tipping and waste... Fly tipping, I think, is, you know, perhaps one issue that where people tip waste locally and it's a very small percentage. But there is large-scale uh, illegal activity, disposing of waste. And, and the only way to discourage that is, is to, to fine it effectively and, and fine it, you know, equivalent to what they would have to do to... <laughs> more than to dispose of the waste legally. I think at the moment, uh, a company could quite easily, uh, like you say, do a legal activity, make lots of money, pay the fine, and then still be in the black and have, have money in their pocket. And, and that's not going to discourage anybody, I think. 
and it, and it also it pushes away people who are trying to do things the right way. It discourages that, and and I would like to see you know some of these fines proportionally push back to fund the environment agency to fund the enforcement themselves, uh, and you know that that would help them. Looking at the waste sector now, there's a lot of consolidation, especially with a looming energy crisis, financial crisis. We've got people like Corey who are buying waste suppliers like McGrath. Uh, do you think we're going to see more acquisitions, especially as waste is often seen as safe and consistent market by investors? But perhaps some. I think we've seen a real hiatus with private equity mm. getting into the market. I think what they see is they see uh, value, you know, and most of these private equity companies want to turn over the companies quickly, develop them, buy them, develop a new EFW and sell them on again. And I think they see profit there. I think there's a, a, a little bit of that. I still think the industry is dominated quite a lot by small, medium uh, enterprises across the UK. And that most waste companies only collect within a 20 mile radius, for instance. So even a big conglomerate would have to have multiple safes. And so I think that the thing that uh, has encouraged people like Corey to buy facilities is is the land and having a license. I think, especially in the southeast, you know, like like Corey by McGrath, what McGrath have is is a site in London, you know, and that's gold dust really with a waste license. And I think that sort of acquisition we, we may see more where where there's a waste energy plant that needs a facility, they, they'll they'll buy a competitor, but. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if if we see more smaller companies trying to move in them in those gaps as well and develop new plants. There's still new companies coming up. The the, the bigger companies do struggle to be quick and and, and flexible and agile. Uh, so there is still a, a especially in the waste sector where it's mostly driven by regulation uh, and change constantly. Which, which, is, which is why small companies can, can find them, their niche in the market. I want to talk about the planning uh, sector, which I know isn't your direct dealing with, but um, you touched on it there with having consented areas. Uh, planning is probably the biggest headache and potential stumbling block for any EFW developer or waste developer in general. Do you think it's going to change or will it become harder with increased call-ins being used to slow down applications? Will it get harder to get planning permission? I think it's very difficult in certain parts of the UK. So if we look at the planning permissions across the UK for energy from waste plants, there's a lot in Yorkshire and that north where there isn't the waste. The real difficulty is the southeast, very much so. Anywhere, you know, pretty south of Birmingham, I think, really, is where there is a lot of waste and a need. I think that is still very difficult to get plan permission from energy from waste plants. And 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 the calling process uh, and new plants going through that, that pain and costs, really, will only discourage people putting in new planning applications I, I, I think I don't think we've seen the end of it I think it's still I think public perception is perhaps is only getting better year on year I don't think it's necessarily getting any worse uh, I, I just think there's been some real high profile cases you know but uh, the southeast is a real sort of critical part where where we need new facilities I think you know that's, that's key but I think that of the planned permissions in the UK, arguably you could say there's enough for to cater for the whole UK, but I think very few of them will actually come to fruition. And, and the sort of seed corn funding for developers who put in planned applications, spend you know, millions of pounds 
trying to get a site up and running. You know, I think that that side of things will, is going to be the biggest thing that's going to delay planning permissions. Yeah. Um, I'd like to go on a slightly different track now. I saw last week you you signed a deal with the Amarga Buck plant in Copenhagen, which people might know because of the ski slope on top of it. Um, that that is for a special kind of uh, low carbon and plastic reduced RDF. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean Copenhagen City have got a, a, a commitment to reduce their their carbon footprint, and so for us it, it's trying to secure waste with effectively a low plastic content. So they still burn material, but they're trying to encourage the amount of biodegradable material, less plastic material, really, that, that, that you know, things that like food or wood, etc., that paper, that, that, that will be grown again. So, so there's a limited impact. And for us, it, it's trying to source the right material for the plant uh, to make sure that their, their carbon uh, footprint is as small as possible. Uh, that plant in particular heats the city of Copenhagen, so it's very, very efficient compared to probably most, if not, it's probably one of the most efficient plants in the world. It's interesting you talk about their carbon commitments because obviously Copenhagen had a commitment to be carbon neutral, the first capital city to be carbon neutral by 2025, but because the plant didn't get funding for its carbon capture thing, they've had to put that back. Now, it's hundreds of millions for this sort of technology, but do, can you see it taking off now? Everyone seems to be talking about it. Carbon capture makes perfect sense. The the only issue really is the cost, I think, you know, and someone has to pay for that cost. And, you know, if there's a cost in, in carbon capture energy from waste plant, you would automatically think that the waste producer pays. But uh, I think it's going to be difficult to implement carbon capture. Uh, it will take time to, to bring that in. And whether that's some kind of tax or something like that, I'm, I'm not sure. The simple thing is who's going to pay for it, really. I think, you know, and and if if we can figure that out, and you know, then then and it's a level playing field, then then it shouldn't really be a problem. Heat is something that everyone's trying to develop over here. It makes total sense to have an R1 facility and supplying heat, but the British have traditionally liked their gas boilers. Perhaps now with the prices of uh, gas, we might change our views. Do you think? We would. I think our views for gas is definitely going to have to change. Uh, the, the the main issue, really. I mean, there is no uh, shortage of heat in the UK. If you go to any nuclear plant, any coal plant, any gas plant, most most of them, I think, if not all of them, will will be venting their heat to the atmosphere. Uh, and the energy from waste sector is very very small. You know, very small percentage wise for for the energy for the UK. So so there's plenty of heat across the UK, across London, uh, from general normal power stations. Uh, the, the problem we have is, is utilising that heat in a network. Uh, and we have a network of gas, we have a network of gas pipes across the UK. Uh, if we can change them to a network of heat or, or water network to, to distribute heat across the UK, then I think energy from waste plants can form a part of that and they can join in that heat network. It's interesting you say that. The energy from waste side of things is obviously it's littered with failed technologies, gasification being the main one. Um, what, do you, what do you think went wrong with gasification? And are there any other technologies or ways that the waste sector went that you, where you just thought that was never going to work? Generally, if we look towards Europe, uh, environmentally, they, they have, when I say Europe, I mean Sweden, Germany, uh, they're generally a little bit further ahead than us in sort of their development cycle. I think we have caught up in the past few years. 
And there isn't gasification plants in Europe. You know, they generally do whatever they can economically and environmentally with their waste. And then what's left, they, they utilise the heat and, and create energy from it. And, and that energy from waste needs to be flexible. You know, and general moving great energy from waste plants are very flexible, very accommodating to what waste they can take. And I think the problem that has encouraged gasification is government subsidies driving gasification. We've seen it in the wood sector, the biomass sector. Uh, it's driving the sector in the right way. You know, the market, for, for, in my mind, should drive the technology and, and t- uh, in the right direction. Uh, the government should guide it environmentally and research and, and put f- funding into things like that, but but not encourage subsidies uh, in the wrong way. And and I, and I think gas- that's what's happened with gasification. No plants in the UK are working gasification properly, uh, and I don't think any more will be developed. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd agree with you there. Yeah, I think um, what's it, the contracts for difference came in and it attracted the advanced conversion technology, uh, and it's only Energy Works Hull that is technically operational the government didn't do a great intervention there and obviously we talk about the energy recovery side of it but you're looking at the waste hierarchy and recycling's at the top Uh, when I listen to planning about energy from waste plants people say well this technology will be redundant because recycling will go up but the last recycling rates issued earlier this year showed the rate slipped to 44% from 45.5% so if that's going the wrong way what what does the future hold? Where we are with recycling We get into a point where it just becomes diminishing returns. I think, you know, effectively, what's how we recycle? How we ever going to recycle more than we are now is source segregation, and most households, most people, most not everyone, recycles their waste uh, by putting it in a different bin. Effectively, whether it's the office or home, once it's mixed in with the other waste, it's just not economically or environmentally. Uh, beneficial to, to take it out is you know if there's plastic in your general waste bin it's generally too dirty too contaminated or, or too costly to remove it and clean it uh, so we get to a point where I think above 50 percent you know six maybe 60 then I think we're getting to a point where it just becomes very very difficult to to, to increase that we may see it increase slowly uh, but it's going to be a very slow process I was wondering because you hear about the rising cost of electricity. Now, energy from waste plants are producing electricity. Some some plants even have deals, strike prices. Uh, the waste that you're giving them, is that now more valuable because the power output has gone up? Potentially, yes. I think I think it, they are constrained with sort of power purchase agreements over certain times. I, th- I, I think it's more valuable, yeah, try, trying to change them to, to for us to pay them less is a different matter. Uh, and, and you know, the future, how long is that going to hold? I mean, they would probably say that, you know, let's make hay while the sun shines and next week it'll be, uh, the price will be lower. But yeah, they, I think they're definitely making more money. There's no doubt about that. And they're utilising uh, the energy prices at the moment. Uh, we may see, you know, I think Liz Truss was talking about capping uh, the amount of money renewable uh, schemes can take uh, how that's going to uh, pan out you know because energy from waste or wind turbine you know they they get the same price for electricity as a gas plant and a gas plant will probably make very little money if they're buying it in that high price where a wind turbine or, or solar or, or maybe even energy from waste will have a different price and i think generally most energy from waste contracts 
export contracts, UK contracts, are kind of set on a yearly price, if not multi-yearly price, indexed every year. Uh, so there's very little sort of spot fluidity in the market. There's some, but not too much. So it will take time for the high prices in electricity to filter through uh, to, you know, effectively gate fees. Uh, hopefully they will. And you mentioned Liz Trust there. Obviously, we've got a we've got a new prime minister. We've got new policies potentially coming. There's potential from that. I'd, maybe you could tell me a bit more what your thoughts on that. And also, there's things. There's other policies in the offing, like Scotland's landfill ban, which has been pushed back once. Uh, do you think it could be pushed back again? Yes, good question on the landfill ban. The problem is defining. They have to have some waste going to landfill, uh, but problem is is what is acceptable and what isn't. Uh, I think it may go back again. The the, the thing, the moratorium in, in Scotland and in Wales uh, it kind of makes sense because when these new plants come online, there's a couple of plants that, that are being built. It, it will give them some kind of parity. I still think you need some landfill. And I think banning landfill is, is perhaps not the way forward. Uh, you know, I think landfill is flexible uh, and is capturing potentially plastic as, as carbon uh, I, you know I, th- I think it's a solution what we don't want and we can't have is complete parity we can't have exactly the amount of facilities to to capture for exactly the amount of waste there's always going to be some kind of uh, uh, overflow or underflow and landfill is flexible you can close it you can open it up again and it works pretty well I, I'm not one for bans yeah makes sense in Scotland it's interesting you mentioned the moratoriums because obviously Wales when they brought their one in they've still not long after one of your uh, rivals Geminal started sending waste to Rookery South from Swansea and you've still got waste going from I think Powers Council to landfill in Shrewsbury so they still they must they need capacity in the south, don't they? Yeah, I mean S- S- South Wales still still landfills quite a lot of waste, uh, and they haven't got their own capacity to 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 burn their own waste. So I can see why they might ch- change the planning and, and discourage it. You know, it's a nice political uh, decision. Yeah, it looks good on the council, looks good on the local <laughs> on the local government. There are facilities in planning getting built at the moment that that will fill that gap. I think overall it it will probably work okay, but yeah, I I don't think necessarily uh, uh, banning it is maybe the right decision because what what will happen and what will happen in England as well, yeah, and and Wales is that as new facilities come online, there's just less waste available, less waste going to landfill, and when that gets to a point, uh, you know, it's I don't know ten percent or, or a smaller percentage, then then there'll be less incentive to build new plants. You know, who's going to build a new plant if there isn't much waste available? Because then you're going to be worried about where it's going to go from, where it's going to go to. Could you tell me more about the award your company's launched? I see lots of pictures on the social media with the trophies being handed out. <laughs> yeah, of course. So we've been around 10 years and we thought it might be quite fun to reward and recognise you know, some of the people who have worked with us over the past 10 years. So so we've, we've had uh, a series of sort of Diamond, gold, uh, silver and bronze awards, which is like a nice little bale that we have produced. Uh, just to really, uh, a little bit of fun, but nice, nice to say to people, you know, thanks very much for working with us over the past 10 years. 
Uh, we've handed them out and we've still got more to hand out. They're very heavy, so <laughs> so we can't carry too many at once. Well, after the last few years we've had, that's I think that's a nice thing. And well, we're literally we're coming to the end now. So I, the final question we're going to ask everyone, is there a question I should have asked you and how would you have answered it? Good question, yeah. I think uh, question, well, one thing I, I haven't sort of spoke about is maybe other sort of types of waste. You know, I think we, we didn't, haven't mentioned sort of pellets or SRF or other types of waste. You know, for, for us, we, we do export SRF to the cement industry and that is very specific and very high uh, calorie value and very refined uh, and, and I can understand that I'm, I'm, I think for, for me where you over process and things, things like pellets I'm still not a, a great believer in, in, in pellets because I think there's a lot of energy to go to produce a pellet with very little reward and, and, and I don't see a place of burning waste alongside coal in power stations you know I, th- I think you know just, if we want to burn coal, we just burn coal. Uh, I, I think it needs to be burnt within the waste industry and utilised in the right way. Uh, I, I do think uh, you know we can get to the point where we look to over-process waste to create a new market, and that's what's happening. You know, there's, there's lots of waste, and we're trying to find a new market, a niche to, to, to find to expand that market. You know, to create a bit of value. And I think that's a great place to end it thank you very much mark for your time and insight thank you it's been a pleasure the burning issues guest this time was mark terrell it was written and presented by luke walsh and is produced by zarina dean thank you very much for listening and if you want to learn more about energy recovery go to the site endswasteandbioenergy.com where you can sign up for our free newsletters and maybe even take out a subscription if you want to goodbye goodbye